says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to the preview edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And joining me to break down a very, very important trio of games for the Blue and Gold is my good mate, 60s. It's round 25, big fella. So much to play for in the NRL, but so much to play for in the New South Wales Cup and NRLW as well. Oh, mate, it's all happening. We've got a very compact schedule of content on TCT this week. Those Thursday night games, man, they get you. Yeah, so we've uh, yesterday we had our news podcast. Today we've got the preview podcast. Tomorrow night we'll be in Jack's Bar and Grill after the game with the instant reaction podcast. There'll be all the all the post match takes on Friday. We've then got that New South Wales Cup game on uh, Saturday, and then the uh, NRLW match as well. So. Uh, plenty to to get through before we even start thinking about uh, NRL finals matches the uh, the following week. Yes, indeed. Let's start with New South Wales Cup 60s because it's sudden death time. We're in week one of the finals. Parramatta Eels qualifying in fifth place in the newly minted top five format for reserve grade. They're taking on a team that they've seen a fair bit of recently, actually. It's the Canterbury Bulldogs, a team that beat them twice this season. Although the last time they met was a 19-16 frenetic game where the Eels had a chance to win but couldn't quite seal it and the Dogs went on to close it out in 19-16 like I mentioned. Uh, looking at this Dogs lineup, 60s, some names you might recognise, Jed Nockenball, Paul Alamotti, uh, Bailey Biondi Odo, Brandon Wakeham, uh, we got Matt Dury, Jackson Topanay. So some NRL experience and some good talent there but for the Eels they will line up like this out at St Mary's Stadium 5.15pm kickoff on Saturday evening. Uh, this one will be live-streamed on New South Wales Rugby League TV for those that can't get out the St. Mary. So just keep an eye out for the link on NewSouthWalesRugbyLeague.com.au, I believe it is. Uh, going through the Eels team, though, captain coach and fullback Jordan Rankin on the wings, Zach Sini and Sean Russell. Centre pairing, Hayes Perham, Bailey Simonson. In the halves, Jack A. Williams, and a lot falls onto this man's or young man's shoulders, Brendan Hands. He's been asked to step up in the absence of Jake Arthur in the halves. In the forwards, Ofki Ogden and Kai Robo are your bookends. Mitch Rain, the dummy half. Ellie Ells, him and Tony Mattaelli are the edge forwards. Bryce Cartwright, the lock forward. On the bench, Jaden Yates, he's the utility dummy half. Tavita Talmapenu and Dan Keir are the two middles, <coughs> sorry, on the interchange with Solomon and Iduki making his return from a concussion that I believe was sustained against the Bulldogs. He'll be the yeah, utility back on the bench. So like I said, 5.15pm yeah. kickoff this one, 60s. A team that's beaten us twice this season. But that last game certainly was a coin flip. Oh, look, it was, and and the previous match as well. The uh, the Eels started off well, and um, Jordan Rankin it, got hurt, didn't he? Yes, correct. And mm-hmm. it ended up being uh, the score was thirty to twenty, but it was five tries to four, so uh, it was a, a lot closer than the ten point score line would suggest. And uh, we just spoke about the last match, which was. Uh, 19 to 16. It was a match which saw um, uh, the uh, Eels Eels prop uh, get sent from the field. Correct. Um, so, and uh, he's still he's he's still got a um, a uh, a three week he's got a three week suspension. Yeah, it looks like he's still out because otherwise he'd be in for sure. 
you know, he'd probably <clears throat> get Kyra Rod Will. Uh, he'd be in there somewhere, so I mean, probably off the bench then. He'd probably replace Dan Kier, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it was. Although in that in that particular match, the the um, the dogs also had a player sent to the sin bin for um, the last ten minutes. So um, you know, the, it was it was twelve on twelve for uh, the conclusion of the match. So it's not like Parramatta were a uh, a player down, but um, you know it was. I think it was fair to say it was a pretty. It was still late, wasn't it? The, the the shot. That yes, was, yeah, uh, and the fact that he he hit him so hard and late sort of escalated the call for the bunk or the bunker or the match officials as well. So I wasn't too upset with that, and I suppose he might have had some prize too. I'm not sure if the judiciary changes carried over to the New South Wales Cup in terms of wiping out priors this year. So maybe it did, maybe it didn't. But yeah, either way, without the services of Wiramu for at least. This game, which means it's up to the other forwards to step up. And looking at that pack 60s, no reason why you can't expect them to. Ogden, Rodwell, very good prop pairing right there. Young back rowers in Elsgham and Mateoli, but they've been impressive this year. In particular, Tony's really taken to this grade. Uh, not really a late bloomer, but a late call-up uh, after being injured for a good portion of the year. And he's just, you wouldn't have known it. You know, He's been very comfortable in this grade. And obviously Bryce Cartwright, if he does play this game, because I suppose there could be some... Uh, you know, potential shuffling between him and Jake Arthur still between the NRL kickoff, which we will have tomorrow night on Thursday. But assuming that Cartwright does play, he could be a bit of an X factor for this game. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, that if Wiramu Greg wasn't under suspension, that one of either himself, Ogden, or Rodwell would probably be starting from the bench. Yeah, which is a, a now, luxury you don't usually expect in the New South Wales Cup. Yeah, I mean, each of them has has played. NRL, um, Wiramu, uh, not this year, is it? I don't think he's had a. I don't believe a, he's been in the NRL this year. No, no. So, but uh, but we we have had uh, Rod will uh, make appearances as as has Hickey Ogden. So yeah, it would have been strange to see. Oh no, he'd, one, had, he'd have one game. He'd have one game. Oh, uh, Wiramu. Yes. Yeah. Well, what round was that? I'm just trying um, to. Very early in the season. It would have been against the Dragons, I believe, in our big win there. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, I couldn't recall whether he had a, a, a game this year or whether it was all last year. But, uh, well, there you go. Uh, with each of those three middles having played NRL this year, one of them would have been starting on the bench had Wiramu not been suspended in, in that game against the Bulldogs. But just looking uh, at the at the team, I mean, last last round it, look it was a it was a bit of a stop start affair against the the knights in the final round it was a convincing victory on the scoreboard in the end but it was a game which was um there was a bit of spoiling tactics i, I think from the knights the weather wasn't conducive Parramatta made a lot of handling errors in uh, especially in the back end of the of the first half um the the standouts for me were uh, Zach Sini, who was just refused to be tackled throughout the match, scored one of the best individual tries you'll ever see. It's on the highlights for New South Wales Rugby League where he gathered the kick into the end goal, ran across his dead ball line, got himself into, as soon as he got out of the, the end goal area, was in uh, open pastures, 
took off down the field, was tackled about um, a couple of metres out from the try line, but the d- defender fell off, so he was able to dive over the line. It was a um, well-deserved try. I do want to credit the big man that chased him there. That was a prop forward. That was number 10. So that, yeah. was, that was a big effort from both players. Seeney would have been absolutely gassed about 40% of the way into that run, given how many people had the beat initially. So that was you know t- t- terrific athleticism from both players. Yeah, well, the, the Knights player ran past his own uh, chasers who looked to have given up on the chase. Yeah. And uh, I, I I wasn't aware that it was the prop, to be honest. I'm pretty so, certain it was. I thought I saw number 10 on the on the replay. So, Yeah, well, it, it, whoever it was, they showed a good uh, some good toe in uh, in chasing him down. Uh, Hayes Perham has been playing well out in, out in the centre position. He really um, has that capacity to for the fast feet and the acceleration that when he's put into a position where he can be one-on-one against his opposite, he can get around them. And he's done a, he did a good job last week of uh, setting up Sean Russell for a couple of tries there. Um, I thought that um, Jake Arthur played really tough against the Knights. The, the advantage of being out at a, a local park is that you can hear the voices out on the field. And his name was just being called out all through the game. Um, he was this. He was subjected to a couple of you know really bone rattling hits, but just got straight back up. His his kicking game was on song. And speaking of Jake, uh, that's something we didn't really consider. Listen, the team out. If he does play a limited role tomorrow night, there's every chance he might back up for this game into the halves, which then would push. Uh, Brendan Hands back to the bench, which means one of the, I'd say, they've run off Hands and Yates quite a few times this year, so I'd say those two would probably hold their spots. Maybe Naiduki drops out. Yeah, it's look, it's possible because um, that you've got a bit of utility value around the halves with um, with with both um, Yates and Hands. So, uh, yeah, that is, that is possible there that Naiduki drops out. Um, yeah, look, I, look, I think... If Jake plays limited minutes, you would think that it's logical that he comes in. I don't think there's an eligibility question there if you've if he's if he's only played a few minutes of NRL prior to um, the New South Wales Cup final um, that that he can play in that uh, turn up and play in that match. Um, but uh, then again, we, I mean, we, we don't we don't know how many minutes he's going to get, so it's all supposition at this stage. You look at the Eels pack, as you mentioned, and it's a very strong performing pack. Uh, look, Bryce Cartwright is too good for this grade. In you know the what he what he brings in attack is um, you know there's some there's things that he does on the field where I'm still in awe of the skills that he possesses. There's also those moments where he switches off, which maybe accounts for um, the lack of a regular appearance in NRL during the season. But I don't think he's let Parramatta down any time he's been called up. No, particularly in this recent run. I think in his most recent run, he's definitely tightened up and has played a lot of tough football. And I think... You know, he, he could absolutely be a factor on Thursday, and that's why I don't think it's a given that you know between him and Jake, like either one is locked into a position in a given week. You know, they both bring something different to the team. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, Rodwell scored a great try last week where Parramatta went the uh, the one-two punch with forwards driving in behind the ruck and and uh, Rodwell took the second hit up. They couldn't stop him getting over the line. Um, you know, it's look. It is, it is as I said. It is a strong. It is a strong pack there. Um, the and, thing, the thing um, about their opposition this week is that the dogs will be aggressive and trying to take chances. They'll push offloads. They'll be up in support. They'll they'll be you know a bit disruptive that way. So it's on the eels to maintain their defensive systems. Yeah, and look, to, you'd have to say that the the dogs, the last time that the eels played the dogs, it was a quality New South Wales Cup game. Yeah, the, we very we were. I was just going to say we were at um, we were covering the players' reunion while that was on, but it was covered on Fox, so we were able to watch it on replay. And yeah, it was a lot of back and, and oh, forth, and we were watching it on the screen <laughs> as best we could yes. in between um, talking to players at at the reunion. But um, yeah, it was a quality game of football, mate. It really was. Yeah, a lot of back and forth. Uh, you know, both teams moved the ball like comfortably. Uh, you know, high quality attack. So you know, just the Eels couldn't quite pull together at the end to score the, the necessary points to win. But it was there; the opportunity was there at least to do so. So, yeah, Canterbury quite obviously a top four team. That's why they're playing finals football. Uh, but can the Eels make it? You know, sort of do the reverse meatloaf, right? You know, the Dogs get two out of three, but the Eels win the only one that counts. Yeah, it's um, look the the. The Eels team, I'm looking at it, and um, probably the only bloke that hasn't had any time with the full-time squad, be it either in the pre-season or, or during the season proper, is Tavita Tomapenu. Um, he's been the... I suppose he's been the bolter. The unheralded sort of breakout player, right? You know, the one that we didn't really tip... Because you know, we didn't know much of him coming across from South Sydney this year, but he has been very impressive, very solid, very consistent. Just a guy that comes off the bench, and he is good for you know minimum 80, 90 metres a game of, of tough runs. That's right. And, I mean, we've spoken about Tony uh, Mattaelli and the promise that he has, but he, he, he had his pre-season cut short with the Eels because, you know, players like, um, like Tony... Had the opportunity to do a pre an Eels preseason, but yeah, he had his preseason cut short through injury. He's made the comeback. We we also saw in the uh, Jersey flag um, that the uh, the big hyphen, yeah, Jonte Junior, yeah, yeah, he's he's starting Jonte, to hit his stride yeah. as well, which is really encouraging. Um, you know, he's another talented forward prospect too. So yeah, there's there's some good young forwards in the mix here for the Eels. Not just for this particular game, but for the preseason moving forwards. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned Tony, but that's the real big one for me. The fact that he's been able to come back. Uh, you know, he came out, was strong offensively from the get-go, but missed a few tackles. And since then has really polished that aspect of his game. It's not like he's a, a dominant defensive player now, but he's doing his job. And that's everything you yeah. can ask for from a young back row. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's like he's he's looked to simplify his game as as like the first step, mm-hmm. and I mean and that that is literally what the best edge back rows do. They do the the simple but hard and courageous things well. You know, they yeah, run, yeah. run the courage Eight lines, tackles, carry yeah. the ball strongly. Yeah, and he he is fearless running into the line, which has been a big thing. When he's worked with Jake Arthur down that left edge, he's been so effective because he will just go straight into the teeth of the defense. 
Yeah, well, you, you're looking at a, a, a left side which um, goes from Arthur to, um, to Mattaielli to Simonson to Sini. So it, it should be, a, a, you know, the, a very strong side for the Eels to launch their, uh, their attacks from. So, um, yeah, mate, how, how do you see this game playing out? Because this is, um, well, it is going to be the last match of the season for either the Dogs yeah, or the Yes, someone is going home, exactly. And the winner will play the loser of Penrith and the North Sydney Bears, uh, I believe, right? That's how the top five format works. Yeah, and uh, it's it's got to be. Um, I haven't checked out what the. the I'm going to just have a look now. The team that Penrith. Oh, that's a good. That's a good shout. Yeah, because because they've got all their reserve grade playing. Yeah, yeah, that that actually might end up costing them the reserve grade game. It's not sudden death for them, but uh, they might end up being. Oh yeah, they have got a lot of ins and outs. Holy dooly. Yeah, wow. yeah. Oh, three, just... six, nine. They've got eleven ins and outs. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's that they're gonna they're gonna be doing particularly well to uh, because that that bear team is no joke. Uh, we know Josh Bergman; he spent some time with the Eels when they were aligned with Wenty, Naguama, Kieran, Gildart. Uh, what else we got here? That's a, a Renoff Tony was another decent recruit they got this year. So there's a that's a reasonable Bears out, um, outfit, and that's yeah, that's a. Sensibly, their RMC team, isn't it now for Penrith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, what's what's happened with their uh, their f- flag team? I mean, is that is that where they've taken it from? Oh, God, just, is it just a just cascading effect going down to the flag? That's a good shout now. Yeah, yeah. I'm just having a look at their the ins and outs of um, of their flag. So I I would say it's a mixture because. Um, They've they've got six six ins and outs from the uh, from their team in the uh, jersey flag. So and of course the obviously it's a mix. The uh, other little twist to all this is that future Parramatta Eel Jermaine Hopgood will get the start at lock forward against the North Queensland Cowboys on Friday night. So or Saturday night, sorry. Uh, so that's going to be a nice little. Uh, Incentive to watch that game because otherwise I think the Cowboys should win pretty comfortably. Uh, but yeah, so, so um, let's let's make the call, mate. What's um, what's going to happen? This is a this tough game? one, sixties, because like I said, Canterbury had our number two games this season, although for different reasons. That uh, injury to Jordan Rankin was critical in that first clash back in round fourteen, I believe. Whereas most recently, the Eels had the you know the start the personnel and staff on the field or playing staff, sorry, but they just couldn't get the job done. Uh, you, you, given how close they are, relatively speaking, you'd back the Eels, right? Like uh, Canterbury, yes, they've got the ascendancy in terms of results this year, but Parramatta have been close enough that you know just a revision here or there will put them in the box seat to win this game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I, I, I think so too. Um, I mean, I could easily see Canterbury also prevailing here. Like I said, you win two games against your opposition, you got to feel comfortable that you can get the job done a third time. But I think Parramatta do have the personnel here. You know, it's just about sticking to the game plan, not letting Canterbury's aggressive attacking structures or, or lack of structures, perhaps, is a better way of putting it when they start, you know, just throwing the ball around with wild abandon to not be too disruptive to you. I, I think that last game, the 
the crucial play was the try that was scored by the Dogs just before half time. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, the, the Eels really had the better of the first half. And <laughs> that try almost came out of nothing. And uh, it was, you know, a, a bit of a a bit of luck, a bit of lapse of concentration as well from the Eels. We need to put our best foot forward to be able to win this game because, yep. as you said, the Dogs aren't going to go away. They've been consistent throughout the season, the Canterbury Bulldogs. So, uh, I'm look, I'm going to I'm going to suggest that the Eels will be really focused for this one. They'll do it on the back of the NRL team getting a top four spot with victory over Melbourne. Ooh, he's he's so getting his prediction be, early for that one. Yeah, yeah, I'm peaking early on the on my call there. And uh, you know what? I think they'll turn it into a comfortable win of 13 plus. Ooh. All right. You got, you got a bit more faith in them to get the big win than me or than I. Uh, I think they'll win by between four to eight points. Uh, I think this is going to be a real slobber knocker, you know, back and forth. You know, we, we might get out to a lead, but we can't quite pin them down. The Bulldogs will get back into the contest somehow. Hang um, on, mate. A, a slobber knocker. You're channeling the great JR. Yeah, there you go. That's a, <laughs> a bit of a throwback one there. But, yeah, just the way these two teams have played this year, I can see this being a, a back and forth. One team gets ahead, can't quite, you know, ice the lead, opens the door some way, somehow, for the opposition to get back onto the or back into the contest. Um, yeah, and so I think... Parramatta by somewhere between four to eight, you know, in the vicinity of like 22-14 or something like that, you know, somewhere within that range of scoring possibilities. But, of course, you can catch this one on New South Wales Rugby League TV on Saturday night, 5.15pm kickoff. So if you can't get out to St. Mary's, it is a bit of a trip, I understand. Uh, Make sure to catch this one on the live stream. Absolutely. Which now brings us to the NRLW Yes, sir. Occupying, I think, the same time slot as last week, 12 o'clock p.m. on the Sunday. So a beautiful Sunday afternoon game, hopefully, knock on wood. This one's out at Newcastle, McDonald Jones Stadium. The Newcastle Knights hosting the Parramatta Eels. And uh, it's the undefeated Newcastle Knights 60s hosting the Parramatta Eels, which on the one hand you'd be a bit concerned about because you're taking on another obviously talented team. But in the context of making the finals, the fact that there are three undefeated teams now means that Parramatta have the the ideal scenario to be 0-2 in is that the Gold Coast Titans and the Brisbane Broncos are also 0-2. So if they start winning now, they almost take care of business to make the finals. Yeah. it's Look, it's interesting that Parramatta had to start the season playing against what is the grand, arguably the, the three form yeah. teams. You know, you've got the, the two grand finalists. And then the, and the, the big recruited, recruiters. Yeah, the big recruiters. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that now. Newcastle, I think they were the worst team in the, the 2021 NRLW season. They went out, opened up the purse strings, and, geez, they made some big-time signings. Tamika Upton at fullback. Then you got in the forwards, Millie Boyle. Just those two signings by themselves would just anchor this team to being so much better. But outside of that, I believe uh, Autumn Rame stevens Daly was also picked up. Jesse Southwell, uh, who else was there? couple other players here. They've, they've gone out and made some really big-time signings. And, yeah, they've, they've got the dividends on the field 60s. A 2-0 start uh, with two good wins uh, last week against the Gold Coast Titans. The week before that was the Brisbane Broncos, which they beat com- comprehensively, if I'm not mistaken. So this is a team that the Eels cannot take lightly. But thankfully, based on what we saw in round two, 
the Eels could very well be up for this task. Yeah, so let's be honest. The the What we saw last week was a major step up in intensity and uh, line speed from the Eels. You also saw much better use, especially in the first half, of the strike weapon in Gail Broughton. Mm-hmm. And those two set plays, I mean, if, if I wrote in the bumpers up, if if you didn't catch the first one, you just had to watch the second one to know exactly what happened in the first because it was a beautifully executed set play, all designed to give a bit of space to Broughton when she received the ball at the end of uh, at the end of the movement to um, get Tiana Panettone downhill, who is almost yeah. unstoppable once she is in stride. That absolutely, and and as soon as Broughton had that opportunity to. Um, to use her footwork and pace and just that football nous at engaging the defender and putting Penatani through the through the gap. It was uh, you mentioned about Penatani's pace, but uh, you know it's just that that football sense that that uh, Broughton possesses. And we were raving about her prior to the first round, and maybe there were some supporters thinking. Well, I don't know if the if the uh, if the performance matched the hype. Well, they just weren't able to get her anywhere near the level of involvement which she she needed to have in the first round. We got it there uh, in the first half of last week. They just couldn't find her in the second half, and that I think was really the difference between winning and losing. Yep. Now, obviously the. Possession just didn't flow the eels' way at all for any sustained period. But even when Para had possession, it it just it wasn't happening in, in terms of uh, the involvement of Broughton. Uh, I'm not quite sure why, but it it just it, didn't it, happen. I mean, this isn't restricted to the NRLW too. It is just amazing in any level of play, where it's state of origin, internationals, NRL, NRLW, how teams can have a formula for success that is so clearly unanswered by their opposition and yet in the second half, you know, of a game they'll stop going to it. It's yeah. uh, it, it's just funny, isn't it? It's, you know, not limited to the Paramount Reels last week, obviously, but it is frustrating as a fan. It's like, geez, just get, go back to Gail Broughton. It, they, they've got no answer for her. Yeah, yeah. But speaking of Gail, she is the headline act at fullback for Paramount Reels as part of what I believe is an unchanged lineup. if I'm not mistaken, looking at this. Zali Fay, who made her in her debut last week, she holds down her wing spot. I thought she was very good outside of that uh, unfortunate knock-on 60s. Tess Staines is the other wing with Tiana Penatani and Rekia Horn in the centres. Unchanged half-pairing of Ashley Quinlan and Taylor Preston. Looks like Lasana Lutu picked up some sort of injury during the week and hasn't uh, been able to recover 60s because otherwise you'd think she'd be back in the mix here. Uh, in the front row, we've got Philomena Hanisi and Ellie Johnson, both much improved in round two. Really like the platform they laid. I want them to build on that this week. Sally Malungi is the dummy half. Christian Pio, Vanessa Foliaki, and the inspirational Samama Taufa, they're the back rollers for the Eels. On the bench, Kennedy Charrington, Brooke Anderson, Nevada George, and Ruby Jean Kennard. Extended roster, Ruben Charrington, Abby Church, Louisa Yaranamua, Cassie Tohi Hiku, and Rima Butler. So, unchanged lineup 60s. That's not a bad thing. They obviously really tested an outstanding outfit in the St. George Laura Dragons, were literally, you know, put your fingers together that close to getting the victory but just couldn't you know, get back to the difference makers in the second half. And hopefully, given that they learned a lot from their lessons in round one, hopefully they can do the same between rounds two and three and apply you know, the, 
the due diligence from the lessons that they got out of this game to be an even better team for this game against Newcastle. Yeah, it's we just expect that that little natural incremental improvement, and if we if they do achieve that, they're going to go close. But you know, I was wary about Newcastle before the season kicked off, just based on the signings that they made, and it will be another monumental test. I I can't believe that they the the Eels have had to start off with these these three clashes, but then again, that's the that's the standard of the NRLW where it's got to, isn't it? That they uh, you've got those three. Um, dominant teams from the first two rounds and uh, Parramatta yet to get a win, yet weren't too far off the pace with uh, their clash and with the, this the is why Dragons. I'm, I'm banging the drums for a double round robin format because, you know, five weeks of football is just so little time to make adjustments, to learn your lessons, to get into stride. You know, teams can have, we've seen the NRL across 25 rounds, teams have form slumps. They can last, you know, two, three, four games in the NRLW, if you if you are not hitting the ground sprinting, you're almost missing the finals. Yeah, that without having any sort of trial form that they can rely on just to judge where they're at. I mean, it's everything is internal for all of the teams, so it's it's a there's an element of I'm not going to say guesswork, but there's the great unknown, isn't there? When they they're coming in, especially when you are getting teams that are literally newly constructed every season with uh, expansion, meaning that teams can only sign players apart from a couple of their marquee players. They, they're only able to sign players for one year at a time until the uh, the next two teams enter the competition. Sorry, next four teams enter the competition next year. Mm-hmm. So it goes to a 10-team competition. I hope they're given a period of time to settle in for 10 teams. I hope that the NRL doesn't go leaping into a, a, a really quick jump into 16 teams. No, uh, I, I agree. It, you know, the, I, I guess the thing is that when they, they jump to 10 teams next year, that you are going to have a nine-round competition. And when you have a nine round, I'm assuming it's going to be nine rounds that everyone plays each other once. And and with a nine round competition, we start to get closer to it being a proper premiership race, if we can call it that way, because it's it's not really a race at this stage. It's it's literally like a round robin of of limited teams. And as you said, there is no real time to get momentum. No. To, to yeah. build into a season, at least with nine rounds, you start to look at building into a yeah, season. You, you, you can, can work you combinations. Can... You know, new faces and rookies have a chance to acclimatize to the new team, to the new format. You know, so there, there is a bit of space to breathe and grow as a team, as individuals too. So that that'll be the big thing for me. But like you said, you don't want to see too much rapid expansion after that, just from a a player talent pool perspective. And also the other thing too is that the reason there is a reason why St. George Illawarra, the Sydney Roosters and the Brisbane Broncos, and if they were still here, the New Zealand Warriors, but why those other three teams are so strong is that they had the chance since 2018 to build their foundations with, you know, similar rosters, create combinations, create culture. And that's why, and this isn't me complaining about them doing that, that that is a good thing. 
Now, that is why they're so successful now, but give these other teams a chance to do the same. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I, look, I can see where there's, where there's going to be other NRL clubs that are going to champ at the bit to be included soon after. But, yeah, let's, let's tread warily. Let's make sure that you've got the talent pool that's ready for it. You, the Tasha Gale competition continues to grow. It's a great springboard for the young talent that's coming through. And, we, and we're seeing the uptick when we've been talking to junior clubs. We're talking about that uptick in uh, female player registrations mm-hmm. and, and female teams in the, in the teenage years. And uh, I've mentioned going up to Eels training at Kellyville and watching on uh, you know some of those nights that the Eels train on that the uh, the Kellyville Bush Rangers will have three there'll be three female teams out there training all teenage teams so the you know the numbers of females that are playing and taking up the game going into senior years is is increasing but you've got to make sure that they've had the time for these pathways to to have a you know that that real stream of talent coming into the senior ranks ready to play on that stage mm-hmm. so um yeah but anyway mate let's uh let's let's get to the tip on this what's your what's your take on it oh, this is a very tough one i mean you want to see the Parramatta win but newcastle looked very formidable in their first two hitouts of the season Obviously, Upton and uh, Millie Boyle are just outstanding recruits and really anchoring a new-look team there. If they can play the way they did against the St. George Laura Dragons and then just add a little bit more polish to the various parts of the, you know, that really sort out, obviously the right-edge defense wasn't great against set pieces and, and second-phase ball. If they can work on that, if they can just tie up the, or tidy up the discipline just a little bit when it comes to conceding penalties, you know, they, they let the uh, Dragons out of their own half too many times cheaply. If they can just do those things and apply that against Newcastle Knights, then, well, I think that'd be a, a real shot here. So they, they need this. Technically, they don't need this win because you can have two good wins and the remaining two other games and, and potentially make the top uh, four still. But you'd want them to get, take, the, take the win here and, and kickstart their season. So I'm going to tip a tight win by maybe four points here, uh, maybe something along the lines of uh, 2016 or 24-20. It's interesting that you go that way because I think it's going to be tight either way. I'm predicting a, a relatively high scoring game. I think the scoreline is going to be something like 28-24. And look, I think that could be 28-24 either way. Obviously, I'm going to go with the heart and, and yeah, take yeah. the kills 28-24. But I, I think it's going to be a narrow margin but a high score. And the, the other, I mean, other emphasis too, and we, we've already spoken about it, is you've got to keep Gail Broughton involved. You know, you, yeah. you got to, and it doesn't have to be just down the left edge. It could be backing up through the middle or, or playing down the right as well. But you've got to keep her involved for the full 70 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that brings us to the first game chronologically this week, but, you know, probably the game nearest and dearest to most fans' hearts given what's at stake. It doesn't get much bigger than this for a, a regular season finale, 60 short of playing for the minor premiership the Eels taking on the Melbourne Storm for a guaranteed spot in the top four. Winner takes it all, gets a date for the Penrith Panthers and two bites at the Cherry in the final series. Absolutely mammoth stakes involved for both teams and it's set up to be a cracker out at Combank Stadium, 7.50pm kickoff, 
tomorrow night, which is Thursday. Melbourne Storm, this is how I line up this week. At fullback, it's Nick Manny, but I wouldn't be surprised if he actually plays in the halves, given what we saw last week for the Melbourne Storm. On the wings, their lone player, David Nofaluma. He's joined by Xavier Coates on the flanks. Marion Seve and Justin Olam are the centres. Cameron Munster, named at 5'8", but look for him to pop up at fullback a fair bit in this game. Jerome Hughes will be the halfback. Jesse Bromwich, and well, should he be playing this game? Nelson Asofa Solomona? Probably not, but he is named here because the judiciary don't like charging people, or the match review committee, that is. Harry Grant's the dummy half. Felice Kafusi, Kenneth Bromwich, and Josh King are the back row. So that is close to a full-strength Melbourne Storm outfit, considering their, or close to a full-strength Melbourne Storm starting outfit, considering their uh, long-term injuries. On the bench, Brandon Smith, Tui Kamifa Kamifa, and Trent Loiru and Chris Lewis. So very, very strong Melbourne Storm outfit. Their extended roster, young Tom Mapia, Cooper Johns, Alec McDonald, Jordan Grant, and Jack Howarth, who was a very highly rated young gun, but I don't know if he's going to play this game. Yeah, that's a, that's a good team, 60s. Even with all the injuries, no Ryan Pappenhausen, obviously the big one there, but even with all the injuries, they're a great team. In great touch too, one of our, you know, three or four teams, including the Eels, that is really surging in the back end of the season, and they're going to come into Parramatta looking to win. Oh, look, it's is it any surprise that even after they looked like the wheels had completely fallen off, that the Storm can find their identity and get back to be a, a genuine challenger for the title. It's They are, a, whatever you think about them, how, how much we will uh, boo the likes of Naz and uh, Cameron uh, Munster on Thursday night, you still have to, you still have to bow down to just the, the fortitude of, of the group as as a team just the way they can they can bounce back and i don't know just they're just such a mainstay in finals football you'd never you'd never write them off i mean i it's was funny. almost ready to write it's them off it's funny that you know melbourne is more famously associated with queensland because when it comes to the finals they're more like cockroaches aren't they you just can't get rid of them <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah that's a good call uh, yes, but Melbourne, you know, one of the perennial, you know, premiership contenders in any given year. This year, you know, arguably they've taken a half step backwards, uh, given that they dropped three or four in a row at one point, and you know they just haven't been as consistently dominant. But still, you know, they've just rounded into some top form this year at the important time of this year, alongside the Roosters, South Sydney, Parramatta. So it sets up an absolutely salivating final series. But right now, it means. The Eels have their you know, hands full trying to make it four in a row against one of the best teams in the competition. To do that, Brad Arthur's had the luxury of naming an unchanged lineup. Uh, you know, Eels on the back of two very, very comprehensive victories over the Bulldogs and most recently the Brisbane Broncos will look like this. Quinton Gufferson, one of the two co-captains, he's at fullback. You've got Mike Acevo and Wanga Blake on the flanks. Will Penasini and Tom Opacic in the centres. Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, that incredible halves combination. They're back in the six and seven respectively. Front row, Reagan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Barlow, Reed Money, dummy half. Sean Lane, form back row of the competition. He's holding down that left edge. Isaiah Papali'i is on the right. Ryan Madison, named to start. But just like how we see Nick Meaney and Cameron Munster potentially swapping positions uh, come actual kickoff, wouldn't be surprised to see Madison and Murata swap jerseys, not swap jerseys, but swap positions on the interchange and starting lineups. Murata, he's number 17 on the bench where he's joined by Makahezi Makatoa, Jake Arthur, Oregon Kafusi. Extended roster, Offie Ogden, Bowie Simonson, Bryce Cartwright, Sean Russell, and Kai Rodwell. 
I suppose the only real question mark at this team is whether BA plays Jake or Bryce Cartwright. That could very well be a game-time decision. 60 is a bit of flexibility there either way. Um, but whichever player does play, I wouldn't be surprised if they backed up into that New South Wales Cup sudden death final. Yeah, yeah. Um, just incidentally, is it any wonder that the Parramatta Eels rarely challenge at the judiciary level because we've just had the situation where we rolled the dice with RCG because it was only a difference of getting one fine or another fine. And despite the fact that it was the most innocuous-looking um, incident that he was charged for, where he was the ball carrier. It, it is crazy that they'll try and set the tone on something like that and then let the Melbourne Storm players, and Jared Warrior Hargraves too, to be fair, but let that whole trio just walk away with like slaps on the wrist after what happened last week. Oh, it's... It's ludicrous. So for those people who go, well, why don't we roll the dice more often at the judiciary? That's exactly why. And for and some reason, that the, whenever the Parramatta Reels take their case to the judiciary, despite the evidence looking obvious. Not, not just despite the evidence, but you know, one of the criticisms I've seen in the past is, well, they obviously don't have very good lawyers or, or people arguing their cases. Oftentimes, the Eels are engaging the same highly credentialed solicitors and, and barristers that like the likes of the Sydney Roosters use. It's just that they get the, the wrong, the differing outcomes. Yeah, it, it's. Oh yeah, I shouldn't say anything because <laughs> it'll just come out. It'll come out wrong. Look, um, I, and might, mightn't be what I might be well advised to keep my trap shut. Yeah. So, my well, what's that, that uh, Jose Mourinho quote? Uh, if I, if I speak, I get in trouble. So we'll go yeah. with that one there. So. Yeah, this one kicking off at 7.50pm, 60s. Eels with the three-game win streak against the Melbourne Storm. Not many teams can lay claim to that, but they've certainly had the ascendancy over one of the best teams in competition in recent times. We always talk about matchups making fights or styles making fights, and in this case, the Eels seem to have the, uh, not kryptonite, because that, that is way too strong a term to describe uh, you know, any edge you'd have over a team like the Melbourne Storm, uh, but they seem to have something cooking when it comes to yeah. being able to get... And it's funny because you see teams like the Roosters, they get under the, the hood of the Melbourne Storm by being grubby. Chad Rhea Hargraves you know, engages in a, a war of who can be the biggest grub with the likes of Nelson of Nelson, of, Nelson of Solomona sorry, and uh, Cameron Munster. And that helps you know, disrupt their game plan. But for the Eels, it's just about being, I suppose, different. Like they, they, they play physical through the middle, but then it's the back rolls that are hard to contain for differing reasons. Sean Lane... Well, he is just this, you know, control tower out on the left edge. He just, you know, drags people with him, offloads, can pass before the line. Ice is a sledgehammer, you know, and, and those two just make it so hard to, for differing reasons to get a read on what the Eels are doing. Yeah, yeah. It's, look, I, is it fair to say, however, that we become more of a threat on our edges when everything's going much better in terms of that line speed and our oh, intent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as simple as rugby can be, it's also very complex. And the, the machine that is a given team, you know, all the different parts have to work together. If something is out of sync, it drags everything else down. Line speed, aggression, you know, physicality, all those things are interlinked. And as soon as all of them are in sync, everything else gets pulled up. But by the, the reverse of that, if your line speed is lax, suddenly your physicality drops, suddenly the intensity drops, suddenly on offense, you're also struggling because you're just getting gashed for big meters um, on the other side of the ball. So, yeah, the it's a big one big harmonious engine 
for any team, but especially the Parramatta Eels, and it all starts in the middle for Parramatta. You know, how, how much of a, not just a platform, but how much of a, a competitive intent is there from the likes of Reg and Junior? If they're coming out and looking to dominate the collisions, you know, looking to play good second-phase football, not, you know, just force the ball for second force the ball, then all of a sudden the Eels, they're, they're galvanised, and Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown, they're playing on the front foot. Sean Lane is suddenly running, you know, eight metres post-contact every other carry. Ice is breaking, you know, tackles every other carry. It, it is all, you know, plays within plays there. Can we um, highlight or how significant do you think the improved form of Murata Yakore in recent weeks has been well, in in the Eels' lift? You talk in about intent- that interconnectivity and that synergy between those different aspects, 60s and well. Does a player epitomise that more, or does any player epitomise that more than Murata Niakore, who, like you said in the last few rounds, has just reignited what makes him such a wonderful player to watch, that physicality, the aggression, looking to dominate with the ball and without. You know, he's been very, very good, starting in those torrid opening periods, soaking up all the pressure, setting the tone, paving the way for Ryan Madison to come on and dominate uh, through the ruck. So, yes, the, there is no coincidence that alongside Junior and Reg also getting back to full form, that with Murata playing his best brand of physical football, that the Eels have put on two big scores and not just that, have looked apart. You know, the eye test has said that they've been the dominant team physically for the last few rounds. Yeah, and it's not like uh, that uh, Murata's producing stats that, that jump off the page. No. It's just that it's the, the absolute eye test where you see him ripping in and you know he's probably got that look on his face as he's charging into the opposition. They're seeing what he looks like as he rips in. He is that intimidation factor in the Eels lineup. He's like the um, the 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 current day Manu Mal, yeah, if you very, like. Very much so. And this this is the player that the Warriors will be saying, "Well, we're getting our money's about like our money's worth for with that contract." Whereas you know, Murata when he was sort of uh, you know, in a bit of a daze prior, will be that would have been concerned. But here, this is yeah, this is a guy that will lead a team. He he will inspire a team, be a difference maker. And well, I, I'm, you know, we've always been huge fans of of Murata, but there was a, a point in time not too many weeks ago where if B A had have dropped him to New South Wales Cup that I wouldn't have been up in No, it would have been a perfectly reasonable response to his form slump. You know, he, he was lacking for impact. Work rate wasn't there. You know, it was it was very unmarada like It was, you know, way out of like what out of line of what we've seen, but it was there. And like you said, if the coach had responded in that in that manner, you would not have been upset. But credit to both he and the coach, they've, you know, got the best back out of him. And he is looking every bit the intimidator, the enforcer that we know he is. And like I said, it is not a surprise that you know the Eels have responded in kind. The rest of the forward pack looks better. Oregon Kafusi and Makasi Makatoa off the bench have both been good as well. Um, and a lot of that comes with having someone like Murata being the torchbearer running into the line hardest first up every time. Absolutely. So where do you see the Eels being able to get, get over the storm but maybe... I'm, I'm looking for something more. I'm looking for who's going to be the difference makers, do you think? Is it a case of difference makers or do you think it's just going to be a case of 
the just the overall um, combination, the overall intensity that the Eels need to bring to the match that'll be the the, the winning formula. Well, honestly, to beat a Melbourne Storm outfit that is fit and firing, it's going to be a combination of both. Like you need your your floor, your team's floor of talent and commitment and intensity to be that high, you know, at a seven or eight out of ten, and then you need your difference makers to be at a nine or a ten. So it, it is a very demanding equation when the Melbourne Storm are, are really, you know, on top of their game. That's the case this week, which means that, you know, every player, every man 1-17 to 17, needs to do their job. You can't miss tackles. If there is a line break, you've got to have guys backing up because, you know, Melbourne are obviously good enough to engineer line breaks. We saw that way back in round two or round three when we beat them, uh, you know, literally after the buzzer in Golden Point. Uh, so the floor's got to be that high. But then the difference makers, well... It's interesting because, you know, there's there's always the guys you can, you know, your safety net picks right there. You've got your Dylan Browns, your Mitchell Moses, your Sean Lanes, you know, the guys that are in imperious good form. I'm just looking at this, you know, I look at this game, you know that the the Storm are going to feed Justin Owen, which means that Will Penasini is going to have to be on his game. And to his credit, I think that Will's been under the radar very good recently. And in his recent matchups with Justin Owen, it's been a real... Hammer and tong, back and forth. Great football from both sides. So I look forward to Will going up and taking that challenge head on. But outside of that, who's the difference maker in this game? I mean, we, we know that Naz is going to be at his grubby best. So Reg Jr., Oregon and uh, Macca all need to be on guard there because their, uh, their heads are at risk based on what we saw with uh, elbows and all that sort of stuff. But maybe... Is there a, maybe it is just Murata? Maybe it's Murata again. You know, just come out and dominate that opening twenty minutes. I'm I'm going to go slightly left field with this, and I'm going to suggest, and I'm, it's only slightly left field, but I'm going to suggest that Ryan Madison becomes the difference maker in this game. I mean, I can see that he's the primary lock forward coming off the bench. He's going to play fifty or sixty minutes pretty comfortably uh, if he can come on and and really take control of that ruck. After that, you know, period of war in the opening 15, 20 minutes, then yeah, I, I can definitely see the logic. Well, he's, as, as you mentioned, he's coming off the bench. So he's, he's looking to not just carry on the work that's been done by the starting forwards, but I think he can create a point of difference in what happens out there on the field once he's there. He's because yeah, he's got that second phase play that's in his game, but he's he's also got that ability just to seem to to bob up or take a, a run at the right time. And I'm not sure that the storm have anyone on their bench who provides the same sort of prowess in that regard as what Madison does. Yeah, obviously Brandon Smith is a weapon as that hybrid dummy half lock forward, but as an out-and-out lock forward, I look at that, you know, Tui, Trent Loero, and Chris Lewis, you know, some decent you know, work rate guys there, but probably not the impact. Yeah, yeah. So um, what do we see in this, mate? Um, look, a couple of interesting things. I think it might be a sellout. I think there's a potential for it to be it's, a sellout. I haven't be, had any feedback to from the Eels. If we're not getting 27,000 plus, then I will be upset. This, you know, I wrote about it on Teamless Tuesday. We need to make this, you know, a Thunderdome. The The crowd is absolutely going to be a factor in this game if we can get a full house. Yeah. So, um, 
let's see if we can get that difference in the crowd. Let's see if we can. I, I mean, I'm going back a few short weeks. And before the South game, we were saying things like, if the Eels can't be up for this, then what will they ever be up for in a, in a match? You know, that was a back then, that was a, a chance to go close to consolidating a top four position, or at least put it where the, where the outcome of the race to the finals was in Parramatta's own hands. We were talking about the hoodoo that was there with the Rabbitohs, the fact that it was going to be a home match in front of a big crowd. So we were saying, well, look, you know, it goes without saying the team's going to be up for this. It, we were proven horribly <laughs> wrong, horribly wrong back then. Now, since that point in time, you've had the Eels have their, um, in, inverted commas, honesty session. You've seen it demonstrated in the matches against the Bulldogs and the Broncos that Parramatta have come out with a, certainly a completely different level of intensity. Now, people might point to the quality of their opponents, but as I wrote in the bumpers up, both of those opponents absolutely embarrassed the Eels when they Not played them ago. earlier in the season. Yeah. And and for the Broncos, it was only a couple of weeks before that they that they were able to inflict such a, a big loss on the Eels on the Eels' home turf. So um, can we now rely or expect that our Parramatta Reels are going to turn up all guns blazing for this game, knowing that it is the biggest home match, the biggest regular season match at Combank Stadium for some time where they there is no questioning about it. They win, they're in the top four, they lose, they sit in the bottom half of the eight. So, I mean, what are you expecting, mate? Are you expecting that we're turning up? I think that, you know, recent history can be used, not, not as a, you know, foolproof indicator of what's to come, but against South Sydney, we, we speculated that, you know, we've struggled against these guys. You know, we gave reasons to why we might succeed, but we knew that South would be up for this game. The reverse is true against Melbourne. You know, it's been a while since maybe Magic Round, was it 2019? Where Melbourne last had a good win against Parramatta, and that obviously Magic Round was well beyond a good win. That was an absolute spanking. But since then, the Eels have really been well-equipped to take on the Melbourne Storm, win or lose. They've been, you know, focused, competitive. They bring their A games. Uh, we, we've seen that literally the last three games in a row where we've not only beaten them, but beaten them in Melbourne, beaten them in Suncorp, two of their, you know, most famous stomping grounds. So... And obviously in between that, there was a game at Combank where we also beat them with the Mike Acevo double. And I think we're going to play into that. I think we're going to look at that and we're going to, we're going to channel all the positive energy from that. We're going to channel the, the positive energy of it being a fate being in our hands. And we're going to come out. Maybe we don't win. Maybe Melbourne Storm are just that good that they're still going to beat us. But I think we're going to come out and play good football. I think we're going to be fired up. And I think that, the, you know, just, you know, 1-17, to 17, everyone's going to be wanting to tear in. Oh, look, I'm I'm on board with that because I think what Parramatta's been guilty of is um, a pervading attitude during the season of she'll be right and we'll get the job done eventually, and that's been the wrong attitude to have. It's been one where which has resulted in those really bad performances, um, including 
losing matches to teams that we should never lose a match to. Um, but then that capacity to flick back to their best, has seen them beat uh, the Panthers twice and, and the Storm and the Roosters. And we're now at a, at a point where uh, they are sitting on the same points as the Storm where they should be sitting on the same points as the Cowboys because the Cowboys should not have had that victory over the Tigers <laughs> and that's a whole other that's oh. a whole other story there. But you know, they were they were gifted that and the Cowboys have had one of the softer draws in the NRL this year. Um where they only sit a couple of points behind, you know, what would have been challenging seen them challenging for second place on the on the ladder, at least the top three place in well, the ladder. That so, loss against the Sharks directly swings both teams on the thirty-four points as well. So yeah, so uh, and you know when you think of that last-minute loss to the Sharks early in the season, uh, when we didn't play our best but had probably done enough to get the win, and and at that stage, no one knew the sort of season that the Sharks were going to have, but they proved that um, you know the that victory over the Eels was just one of a number of. Uh, strong performances mm-hmm. that they had throughout the season. So despite what's been labelled as uh, Parramatta's inconsistent form, that inconsistent form has still seen them uh, sitting right now on the same points as last year with a round to go, on the same points as currently as the Storm with one round to go, and uh, better than 11 other teams in the premiership. So it's, it's interesting. As I said, I really think it's been a case of them continually thinking, look, uh, we'll be right. We'll, we'll, we'll play when we need to play. It's been wrong, but now we're right at the point of, yeah, you need to play now. Well, it's interesting because there was that preseason talk about an adjustment in approach and attitude to the regular season. And I, I don't know if, you know, they'd be happy if their response to some of those very winnable games, but Maybe, and this is something we're going to have to come back and reevaluate when the season's set or all said and done. The season, sorry, but maybe they are better positioned mentally and physically to make a run in the finals now. They're in a healthier mind space. They're feeling more refreshed because there's been you know not as consistent high level of intensity for the regular season. So that that's going to be you know made, made or broken in the coming few weeks, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, look, I, I honestly. I'm like you, I'm expecting that we are going to see a good game of football from both teams. I think it's going to be a, a, a tight match. Uh, time to make the predictions. So I'm going to take the Eels to win uh, 20 to 16. Damn it. I was <laughs> that was my... Okay, I've got to pick a different number now. No, no, you can pick the same number. Why not uh, pick the same number? Yeah, just... I, I go back to that uh, round two game we played against them at Combank, and it just it just feels like that sort of game again. Uh, round two was it last year? Mike Acevo was it twenty twenty? Let me have a quick gander at our. It would have been yeah round two last year was sixteen twelve, so I think it's going to be very similar to that. You know, same four point margin, but just bumped up another try. Yep. So you're going to go what? 24-16, is that what you're going? No, no, I'll go 2016 alongside you. You will? Okay. Okay. So, um, best on field. Oh, look, 
I, again, although I've, I've nominated Ryan Madison as, you know what, no, I'm going to stick with it. Stick I'll stick with, with Ryan Madison as uh, best on field, yep. Yeah, it's, it's interesting we always get to these best on field games against the best opposition because you nominate someone like Madison to be a huge difference maker, but so much of the game still comes down to those same core players, to Mitchell Moses, to Dylan Brown, to Quinton Gufferson. You know, so it's always easy to just reach back into the pocket for one of those boys. Um, for me, my best on field. So I, I said Murata would be one of our difference makers. I don't think he's going to parlay that into a best on field. Uh, but I think he'll probably, if, if we end up winning, he might get points for our 3-2-1. Best on field, I'm, I'm going to go to that, you know, sort of pocket pick right there. Mitchell Moses, just the kicking game, the goal kicking, the finishing. So much of it against Melbourne, you have to be like clockwork. You've got to take the most of your opportunities and making the most of it means that your halfback has to be killing it. So a big game for Mitch, who you know, has been very good these last couple of weeks coming back from that broken finger. Yeah, look, I, I, I agree with that there. And I, and I don't think there's too much where we need to necessarily analyse the breakdown of what happens during the game because uh, it, it's, it's pretty straightforward how both teams are going to play. And I think whoever wins the forwards battle, that intensity, that's where you're going to see the uh, winner being declared. But mm-hmm. then playing off the back of that, I can see where someone like a Mitch Moses is able to uh, produce the sort of game that would have him nominated as best on field. Um, and likewise, when I'm when it comes to first try scorers, I'm going to nominate one of the backs. I'll uh, I'll take uh, Tommy Opechik this week to be Ooh, first try scorer. I like that. I'm going to go one wide uh, one wide out from Tommy. This this is a Mike Siva game. Okay. Yeah, so yep. get Micah on for first try scorer on my books. Mitchell Moses, man, the match for me. And then that tight scoreline sixties, we both got those uh, riding at the same margin there. Uh, and, you know, like we said, this is winner takes all. You win, you're in fourth, you lose, you're in sixth, taking on either the Roosters or the Rabbitohs, depending on how that game plays out. Uh, sorry, no. Yes, but you'll get the home game at Bankwest Stadium, a Combank Stadium, good Lord. Combank Stadium in our week one of the finals. But, yeah, you win, you're taking on the Penrith Panthers. Uh, and literally, you win that game, and you are 80 minutes short of the grand final. You will book your spot into a grand final qualifier, get the week off. Uh, you know, so so much at stake there for the Eels, and yeah, it's all in their hands, which is just you know almost unbelievable given you know the games that we dropped and you know the other teams timing their runs too. But the football gods have you know foreseen it that the Eels will control their fate moving forwards. Mate, it's it's interesting. We haven't really waxed lyrical about Sean Lane. No, and we, we mentioned him cursory about, you know, being one of the guys to look out for, you know, just across the roster. But, yeah, Sean Lane is absolutely the sort of player that will give the Storm fits as well, as my computer keeps popping up with notifications, sorry. Uh, yeah, he, he is just that outlier build in the back row, you know, obviously towering player, really, really can pile on the post-contact meters, can slip a nice ball. I, I could easily see him being a, a big – I mean, he has been – Against Penrith, against Melbourne this year, he has been a huge point of difference. So there is no reason not to think that he would be another point of difference in this game. Yeah, but it still all comes back to the start that the Eels have, the platform that the middles are able to lay. Yes, sir. And, and then that creating, um, uh, you know, getting the Melbourne defence, which is a rarity, it should be a rarity, but if you can get the Melbourne defence backpedalling a bit, and create a bit more space 
for your edge and your edges and your and your backs, that's going to be the formula towards uh, getting a win over the storm. And the reverse, we just have to find that way to edge ahead of them. The reverse is also true. Line speed, aggression, intensity, first up contact in defense. Yeah, you know, bring all yeah. those to the party, and you're going to really not not contain, you know, massively, but you're going to disrupt Melbourne. Yeah. So. Mate, I guess the only thing now is a reminder to people that we will be doing our instant reaction podcast live from Jack's Bar and Grill in Parramatta Leagues Club immediately after the game. Uh, get in there. We've got uh, Neville Glover joining us to break down what he sees as the main talking points from the match. And we might just have a bit of a chat to him about the recent Blue and Gold Players reunion. But uh, come up there, join us, grab a drink, a pizza, listen to a bit of uh, footy talk after the game and uh, celebrate what is hopefully a decisive Eels victory that gets us into the top four. Yes, indeed. And as always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Make sure to check out thecumberlandfro.com for all your Parramatta Eels needs. Plenty of content up this week. Massive month for the site 60s. Always great to see that. And hopefully it gets even bigger from here on out as Eels make a run into the finals. Looking forward to it, mate, and go you wheels.